I will start, I think, with a quite common quote that the city made for children, that is good for children, is a city good for all. I think this is uh, the starting point of everything. I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. 360 Degree City is brought to you by the team at Intelligent Futures. We're a team of versatile urban problem solvers, and our aim is to figure out better ways of living together. One of the trademarks of cities is their diversity. Diversity of spaces, diversity of activities, and diversity of people. Yet, when we consider how our cities get built, that diversity can often be forgotten. I'm a middle-aged, able-bodied, Caucasian male. Cities work generally pretty well for me. But what if you have a visual impairment? What if you're female? Or what if you're a child? We've explored some of the implications of considering diversity in our cities in previous episodes, and we'll continue to do so in the future. But today I wanted to talk to someone who's examining urban places from the perspective of children. My name is Vivian Dumba. I'm an urban planner and geographer. I am uh, from Greece and I'm also currently based in Greece. And I work together with STIPO, which is a Netherlands-based organization about how to improve our cities and how to make them uh, feel as home. Vivian's work has a lot to do with placemaking. That is, the collective process of reinventing public and semi-public spaces to ensure their shared use and ownership by the community. A few years back, Stipo realized there's an element of urban design that tends to be neglected. People study what happens in public space or private space, but what about the spaces in between? The hybrid spaces and ground floors of buildings. So the folks at Stipo reached out to their international network of urbanists to understand what elements affect people's experience of the city at eye level. Then they turned their findings into a book called The City at Eye Level. The, the interesting thing with, with a book, when you have a book, is that you have something tangible that you can share. Mm-hmm. And the more you share it, the more people react and you say, but you forgot to tell about this aspect. <laughs> and at some point, of course, we received uh, the comment, that, but you forgot about the kids. And we were like, hmm, indeed. Challenge accepted. So it was. <laughs> and uh, at some point, two years ago, there was a very nice momentum, uh, this kind of magical timings that happened, that we were discussing in the team that, yes, we should do a kid's book. And in the meantime, there was a beautiful competition, uh, a call, actually, not competition, call uh, for proposals um, from the Bern Valer Foundation. It is a foundation based in the Netherlands, focusing on the very young children, aged zero to three, their caregivers and pregnant women. This is what the work that they do. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for uh, approaches, solutions, ideas, anything that could um, that could contribute to integrate and including this for this uh, target group into urban planning. Hmm. So we d- we decided to collaborate with them, and we of course we got uh, we submitted a proposal and we got accepted. So the Stipo team, located from Greece to Sweden to the Netherlands, began to create a book called "The City at Eye Level for Kids." As I spoke with Vivian, my thoughts naturally went to my favorite nine-year-old my daughter Avery. So I thought we'd go for a walk in some different spaces near our home to get her thoughts. Okay, kiddo. The first part of our walk was along Kensington Road. 
in the middle of a historic commercial area of Calgary that has a lot of pedestrian-oriented storefronts and restaurants. Can you describe what it is you're seeing? Uh, I'm seeing lots of traffic. I'm seeing some pretty neat shops, but there's also lots of bikes and people. How does walking through this area make you feel? Like I need to scream to be heard, kind of, since there's, <laughs> there's lots of cars here. Lots and of- do you feel safe walking in this area? Yes, I do. Since there's cars here, uh, cars parked along the curb, I feel more safe than if there weren't, because if there weren't, there'd just be cars so close to me that it might feel a little unsafe. We then went to the Bow River Pathways nearby and explored the shared walking and cycling paths next to the river that runs through our city. Um, it makes me feel good. I like that we're by lots of greenery, lots of rocks and water. Um... Even though there are cyclists, I think it's great. It's a lot better than walking on a road because road's louder. You can talk easier here. And just, I think bikes and people are nicer than cars and roads and exhaust. The cyclists, some of them are going really fast and they sneak up on you. They they kind of startle me. And then just um, sometimes it's a little scary being really close to the Sometimes it's a little scary being really close to the river as it's flowing really fast. But in this particular part of the river pathway, you can do this, right? Echo! Yeah, that's really fun. Echo! Next up, 14th Street, a very auto-oriented street near our house. It's just kind of a giant intersection. Very loud, very stinky. There's just a few shops. They, they don't seem very appealing to me. Just kind of plain buildings or overloaded buildings. What do you mean by overloaded? Like signs, sales, like lots of signs, lots of shops in it. Um, right now I see about three trees and um, one green car, so <laughs> not so much greenery. Finally, we walked along 2nd Avenue in our neighborhood, which is in the fairly low-density community of Hillhurst. I'm seeing almost zero cars. Um, not so many people, but lots and lots of greenery, lots of bushes. How does it make you feel walking around the street? Um, very safe. You don't need to scream to be heard. In this episode, Vivian and I discuss the work she does with Stipo and their upcoming book called The City at Eye Level for Kids. I'd like to go back just just to, to, to the beginning, if I could. Um, so when you, you're talking about the need to uh, discuss and understand the city at eye level, um, what what was missing in what you observed and how people were thinking and building and designing cities that led to that, 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 that part was either being missed entirely or not paid enough attention to you. Can you describe what, what, uh, what the gap was that you're trying to fill? I think that there was a lack of integrated approach. Hmm. So architects look at the building and maybe some uh, square meters ahead of the building, like the hybrid or public space, uh, urban planners look only on the public space. So I think that it was missing an integrated approach hmm. that you would see the public space, the private space, so the, the architectural elements as well, but also what's happening, the activities inside it. And also the activities outside in the public space. So it was, um, from from this perspective, we realized there was a triangle in a way. We call it software, hardware, and orgware. The hardware 
is what you usually design, whether you are an urban planner and you're working on public space or you're an architect working with the building or, you know, all these artifacts that are tangible. Mm-hmm. The software is what is happening uh, on the social uh, aspect, what kind of activities you might have, uh, how people interact with each other, what kind of programming of other activities you can do in private and public space. And the orgware is what kind of coalitions you can develop around it. Because we talk about the participation of the public, but participation is also important when it is facilitated from the top to down. Mm-hmm. So we also seek to, to highlight um, the framework, the, the the orgware framework uh, around it. For instance, uh, if you have a street and you have uh, retail shops and you also have residents, how can you develop uh, a network of these people? How can this network be developed into a group of people caring about Mm. the neighborhood? How can you activate funding around it to do programming? And how is this related to the municipality or to the local borough? So these are the kind of uh, things we really want to touch upon, not in silos, but really integrated with each other. Mm, okay, great, great. Thank you. And I think that that's, you know, one of, one of the most dangerous things about city building is its inherent complexity and people uh, find comfort in carving out their own silo. So they're comfortable within that. It's a lot easier. It's a lot more straightforward, but the results are rarely if ever as effective for the people that are living in those spaces so that's that's great um so so it, maybe you could you could uh expand on on the the approach with with kids and why it's important to um think about kids when we're designing and and moving through public space what are what are some of the key considerations for folks mm-hmm. i will start i think with a quite common quote that mm. the city made for children that is good for children is a city good for all. Hmm. I think this is uh, the starting point of everything. Mm-hmm. But um, focusing even more on the specific target group that we had for the book, the book and the project, it is focused on the Urban 95. So it is uh, young children aged zero to three, uh, pregnant women and caregivers. And the book itself also contains examples that are not only focused on that target group because what we realized is that there, it is a group that is not well represented, this, uh, this age group. Usually you, we will see projects related to primary school children or teenagers sometimes, but this age group where the, where the child is so much dependent on the parent and the parent is so dependent on the child is very uh, rarely um, taken into account. Hmm. So we started from this point And then we had two aspects. The first one was to see how does a city look like for the parents, caregivers, and the very young children. This is the first one. And the second one is how do we we include them in the process of finding out Mm -hmm. and designing better. So uh, our book consists both of stories that have to do with really practical tactics that have to do with how to include children, how to include parents in the process on the one hand. And on the other hand, we distilled from the chapters criteria 
that one can have in mind when designing and developing public and private space that is suitable for this age group. Maybe if we we could dig into uh, a story or two, what are what are some of the good examples that you've seen in terms of um, designing spaces for these kinds of, of kids, their parents, caregivers, uh, and what 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 would be different from uh, a space that didn't pay attention to those kinds mm. of details? I think the one of the most important key learnings and stories that we got out of the book is that we shouldn't design the playground, just the space for children. It should be a much more holistic approach on how you design generally the urban environment. Mm-hmm. So you need elements that are friendly, safe, and comfortable to young children and their caregivers throughout the whole city. It even affects the transit system, how you will even develop the bus stop or the bus itself, for instance, and how you can uh, facilitate the young child and the caregiver to help them together to build the independence of the child through the, through the environment. Mm-hmm. It, is a, it is a very important element where the parent or caregiver feels, feels safe, not to have the child in the stroller, but to walk hand by hand to, to give the opportunity for that. Uh, or to provide elements, even in a park, that is not only strictly a swing, a slide, just the typical games, but to help the child develop uh, its senses. Um, so one of the things that we did, we tried to be as interdisciplinary as much as possible. So some of the contributors of the book and later who helped us with the methodology uh, derived from the non-formal education uh, field mm-hmm. or they are art educator. So we try to see what are elements, for instance, of sensory play that can mm. be integrated in the design of parks, of streets, uh, of public space equipment. We try to see these things as well. Um, another story, another interesting story was that you cannot have a unified approach throughout the whole world. And it's not only about social or cultural context, it has to do also with parenting culture. Mm. And yes. we experienced it ourselves uh, because for the project we did two tryouts of the methodology, one in Stockholm where Rosa is based and one in Thessaloniki where I was based. And we realized that the, the way we tried to see the same tools that we tried to implement in both cities, the, some of them didn't work and some of them did work for different reasons that had to do mostly with the parenting culture um, in, the, in the local context. Oh, okay. What was, the, what was the distinction between the Swedish and Greek parenting cultures you observed and, and how, how would that uh, uh, influence design? Mm-hmm. So the first tryout that we did was in Thessaloniki, where we tried a more, let's say, normal or formal uh, workshop format. So invi- we invited the parents some days ahead. The parents arrived at the location on a specific time and we had a proper workshop format. And for them, it was easy to let go of the children in a corner in the room to play. They didn't have to have the child always in their attention because, of course, in both Stockholm and in Thessaloniki, we had uh, volunteers and caregivers and uh, people who were taking care of the young children while the parents were focusing on the workshop. In Stockholm, when we tried to do that, it just didn't work because the parents are much more focused on what the child needs at that very moment. Mm. So it was mostly the child leading the needs of the parent in Stockholm rather than Thessaloniki where the 
where the parent was uh, focusing also on their need at that moment that was to discuss about the topic that we had at that moment that, of course, was related to the child. Mm. And, uh, yeah, for instance, this was a good eye-opener of how you organize, for instance, a participation format for uh, for the parent mm-hmm. and, the, and the child. So, so what would be the the implications on how you would design elements of a city based on on those insights? Do you have any 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 thoughts on that? Uh, for, uh, depending on the parenting culture, you mean? Hmm. Hmm. Um, it it just it it uh, you you mentioned safety <laughs> and uh, it 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 brought to to mind uh, my 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 daughter. She's nine. Uh, her school just three blocks from here, uh, and her entire school is supposed to be in a walk zone. So everybody should be able to walk to this school. Uh, but, uh, drop off start of the day and the end of the, of the day, the street is really busy with a lot of vehicles and those parents are making, I guess in their mindset and perhaps they're making their own child a little more safe by driving them to school. And in doing that, they're making all the other kids a lot less safe. <laughs> uh, yes, so, you know, yes. just just as one example that just comes to mind in my own personal experience. Yes, um, <laughs> I, I think I can relate to that, especially for Greece, that they <laughs> so much uh, car dominated, mm-hmm. as you as you understand. Um, yeah, maybe. For instance, I think parenting in Sweden without being 100% certain about what I'm saying now, just from some observations, empirical observations, can work in a much more, um, let's say, communal way. So one parent will take care maybe of other children as well. Uh, or to, or tactics like the, um, the school bus, how is it called? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. That, school um, bus, yep. Yes. While in Greece... Or maybe let's say well in other cultures maybe it's much more um, a solo act of the parent of how he will take care of the child throughout the city mm-hmm. um, yeah and I think it might also depend on the on which level on which yes on which age the parent the caregiver will consider its child to be independent right yeah, I think it's also that at which age the parent will feel safe enough to allow the child to go by bike or by foot to the school yeah. or uh, cross the street mm-hmm. or uh, all these little elements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you could see how the that interaction about design and infrastructure um, interacts very clearly with parenting culture. So they, they inform each other. So if you have uh, a community where everybody walks all the time, then you're conception of how independent and how early your kid can be independent would probably be very different than if you're in an auto dominated, um, environment. So yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting. And certainly we're, uh, you know, back to selfish all about me, of course, uh, but (laughs) in, in our experience, we're in a very walkable community, but we also live on a very major road. So as we've been teaching our daughter about road safety and those kinds of things. Uh, we let her go out and ride her bike on her own all the time, but you just go the opposite direction of the big major road <laughs> and stay clear of it. Yes. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so if, if you were to, to give, um, uh, if, if you, uh, we have, we, we know we have, uh, lots of designers listening out there. Um, what would be some of the key, uh, tips and pieces of advice you would give designers to help, um, 
create more child friendly um, cities? Um, one thing that allowed us, it also helped us as designers and the mm-hmm. planners, was that to think in scales. Ah, yeah. And this came out, and this came out also as an outcome of the of the book. Hmm. So the way we have developed in our framework, it has uh, four core um, scales. The first one is the micro scale. So it could be the street corner, the playground itself, uh, like those little elements that should definitely, I think, be around a neighborhood or even the city center. It doesn't have to be only in residential cities uh, mm-hmm. areas. Uh, the second one has to do with the, the, has to do with the scale of uh, the park, the plaza. And the neighborhood. So, how do you uh, populate these micro places? How do you design these micro places mm-hmm. inside this scale? Uh, how do you design about comfort in this uh, scale? How do you design about safety? Um, about the functions that are, might be there to facilitate parents. For instance, if there is a, a doctor's. Um, office or if there is a pharmacy or things that a parent and caregiver might need mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of the day to facilitate and accommodate a child. And then the third scale would be Main Street, Big Squares, Park. Hmm. How can you bring the elements again of the micro place or of the Park Plaza neighborhoods to this intermediate scale and how to make it active and uh, inclusive also for this age group? Um, for instance, at least, unfortunately, the case in Greece is that we designed the big plazas to be like helicopter platforms. Yes, <laughs> 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 you have beautiful access to the sky, but most of the times, nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. So how can you activate a place like that, not only for the adults, but also for young children and children to feel comfortable, safe to play, Um have, for instance, activities like a busker mm. being around there, a, a food vendor, someone will selling ice cream, these small things. And then the fourth scale would be at the city scale. And then we, this is the level where you move out to create an actual strategy for the city. So this is where you include also the transit system. Of course, it relates to the other levels as well. Sure. But the city scale is to think in an integrated way of all, how the lower scales are actually pictured in the bigger scale. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we have developed now, there are many criteria. I don't know if I have time now to talk about all of this, um, but uh, we will have them open source uh, published very soon. They Great. will be on our uh, website and they will also be in the book. And uh, this is our best way for us to share and get feedback. Well. Terrific. Yeah. To, to see what the, what the next challenge that people, that the readers come up with for you, eh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and of course, it could be that we forget something, that we might have missed something. I mean, this is the beautiful thing with collective processes. Mm-hmm. We have not reinvented the wheel, not at all. In a way, we have uh, distilled, if I may say, or, you know, reframed some knowledge that is already out there and trying to bring... Another framework, it doesn't mean that's better or worse than others, 
it's just another lens to look at things. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and I th- I think uh, you know <clears throat> when we started your your point that a healthy city for children is healthy for everybody. And that idea of um, kids being uh, like an indicator species of the, the urban ecosystem, <laughs> like the yes. same, same principle as you have in, in, uh, in, in ecology, if you can think about, you know, it's, it's a really nice way to think about it because oftentimes the city gets designed from a engineering and efficiency perspective. And the result is that it's not comfortable for human beings generally, but you know, a 30-year-old could handle it, but could a four-year-old? And to really think in those terms makes is, is a good is a good uh, provocation, I think, for for designers and city builders. Yeah, and that's why it's important to to make a call towards the community. They know better than anyone else. Right. Right. Yeah, I think it's very important for designers, planners, policymakers to reach out to the community. Don't be afraid of them. They know very well what they need. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they might need a facilitation in order to express it in terms that a planner will understand it or that will end up being in a final plan or a law or whatever this might be. Mm-hmm. But I think we reached the point in our cities that we can no longer plan from our offices. The, the knowledge and the solutions are out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they really need to be heard. They... they they, they really desire to be heard. Something interesting that I have also we have also noticed between the difference in cultures in Stockholm and in Thessaloniki was that in Stockholm the parents uh, had the, the the culture of being uh, asked about their opinion, did have a previous experience of being of participating in such processes, oh, okay. and they felt and they felt all right with it. So they felt okay participating. In Thessaloniki, that especially parents of young children are not at all uh, invited and included in these processes, they felt very much empowered by that. Mm. So the discussions that we had by the closing of the workshop were not only related to what they need in terms of uh, the public space, the streets, so that they can provide us with elements for uh, for the design, but they focused uh, a lot on the process of participation, that they felt very much empowered by the fact that they have once been asked, even though it was for a pilot case, so it was not the city calling to them, but someone who lives in the neighborhood who invited them for discussion, mm-hmm. um, the empowering element of participation is maybe the most important element of participation rather than the end product itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We often often talk about that, that the best processes, um, they they educate folks. So every, every and that means everybody, everybody involved, learn something new, uh, build new connections and relationships and empower folks so they feel that they can continue on. So like you say, this there's a specific input to a pilot or a project or a plan, but in the broader sense, you're building more engagement and empowerment and democracy really um through these processes so that's kind of the the big picture aim uh achieved through a, a whole series of these individual exercises so that's that's really encouraging uh for a place that hadn't really experienced that so that's that's great and exactly. did, did you, it, and, go ahead and you can see this message being uh so so we received chapters we received chapters from 100 places around the world 
Wow. And you see, yeah, it, 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 is a, it was really beautiful to see it when we started receiving it. And the message is the same from all around the world. So that's why I think that this is one of the elements that are universal about participation, about this uh, community building uh, effect that it can have. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, okay, so we have uh, one last question that we ask everybody uh, on the podcast. Uh, can you share a city that you love and why you love it? Okay, I might not be very original on that, um, but I very, very much love my hometown, Thessaloniki. Um, it's the second biggest city of uh, Greece. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a Roman city, so compared to Athens, it's not the ancient, but it has more like a Byzantine and Balkan character mm. in it. But what I love about it is its scale. Uh, so it's not, it is a metropolitan city, but it, it's still very much, it feels at home, not mm-hmm. only because it is my home, but it has this kind of elements um, that we see also on the city tile level that are related to how you can create a street that feels like home, a mm. square that feels like home. Uh, it is a city by the, uh, by the water, so it has a beautiful waterfront and it feels like home in every step of it. People very much uh, engage in public life. Uh, okay, it's Greece. We have good weather, so we have lots of opportunities <laughs> to be outside, as you can imagine, <laughs> and enjoy the nice weather, the food, and the, and the drinks. What I like it is that how feel, people feel comfortable in being around it. And this affects also the way they communicate, they interact, and they connect with their fellow citizens. Wonderful. I have uh, I have yet to visit Greece, so now you give me yet another reason to go. <laughs> the folks from the city at eye level, Stipo, and the European Placemaking Network are hosting a festival in Valencia in late June. They don't want to call it a conference because events will be happening outside of conference halls. Over 400 participants are expected to attend from all around the world to exchange ideas about placemaking. The City at Eye Level for Kids will be launched at this festival, and we've added a link in the show notes to this event, so check it out. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.